0: Worship team, thank you so much. For that song, You Are. Let me hear you say You Are. You Are. That's our series that we've started. If you look at the front of your bulletin, you see that little You Are, that little hashtag there. And maybe you'll start tweeting out your thoughts. Go for it. Um, But as we head into this series, I'm excited about it, and uh, I'll explain the reason why before we actually get into it, okay? So this is what I want you to do. Uh, Put on your uh, creative little mindsets here, but still stay focused if possible, okay? I want you to imagine that you're going to try to sell a product that you've never sampled before, okay? How would you do with that? If you're, gonna, you're out there thinking, I'm going to make a living off this product that I'm going to sell. I've never even tried it before. I've never tasted it. I've never used it. I've never sampled it before. You're just, matter of fact, you're just going to put up a little table outside some store in town. And you'll have a little folding chair and a little money box, maybe a piggy bank or something. And you're like, I'll just sell it right here. Let's see if it works. And people come up and they start saying, well, tell me about it. Like, I don't know. Why don't you buy it? Well, you have tasted it before. No. But I'm, I'm sure it's good. How do you think that's going to go over? How many sales do you think you're going to make that day? Can you imagine cheering for a team you've never seen before? Go Timberwolves! You ever watch the Timberwolves play before? No. Do you know who's on their team? No clue. Why are you cheering for them? I, I like their logo. Ferocious Timberwolves. Ah, that sounds sort of fun saying Timberwolves. You're going to... That's what I'm saying right there. But you just, you just never know, do you? And I was thinking, uh, that just reminds me, not that, but it reminded me yesterday, I was at a ball game, and I'm on the sideline, it's a football game. Now for those of you who don't know anything about football, let me help you out here, okay? If you're on offense, the linemen are going to block. If you're on defense, you're going to tackle people, Okay? Well the team that I was on the sideline with, they were on defense, so they're out there trying to tackle people. And the fans behind me, somebody yells out really loud, come on defense, block them. I'm sitting there going, oh, defense blocked, okay that's wrong but I sure hope our offense does a better job of tackling because we're not doing too good right now. But I am sit there thinking, sometimes people in the stands, they don't even know what they're screaming and shouting. And I'm sitting there thinking, why are you a fan then? You don't even know what's going on. I don't know, I just like to yell at people, I guess. Maybe that's why. So imagine trying to sell that product you've never sampled. Imagine trying to cheer for a team you don't even know anything about that team. Now let me choose this illustration or truthful. Moment. Imagine following a God you don't know. Think about that. How well do you know God? If I were to hand you a Bible and say, This is God's holy word, okay, separate and different from everything that's ever been written, tell us all about God, what could you tell me about the God of this Bible? Do you know Him? We just went through a series about growing and, and milk the meat, growing up and maturing in Christ and, and knowing more about God and knowing Him personally. But do you really do you know about God? How do you worship somebody you don't know? How do you follow somebody you don't know? How do you tell somebody about God if you don't know Him? Makes you wonder, huh? So as we thought about this, it's like, you know, we, we need to know God more. If I'm representing the United States of America, and I'm going to go to a third world country to be an ambassador, would you suggest that I become well-versed in American history and educated and knowing everything about the United States before I became an ambassador of another country? Don't you think that's a good idea? Because I am representing the United States, so if I'm going over there, don't you think it would be good if I knew a lot about the United States before I went there? And in, in the same way, As a Christian, Paul says, I'm an ambassador of God's kingdom. I represent God's kingdom. So don't you think I should be well-versed and knowledgeable of my faith to share with everybody? I would hope so, right? See, if I'm going to be a citizen of the United States, let's say I come from another country and I want to be a part of this country, here's what I have to do. I have to, in order to be a naturalized U.S. citizen, I have to pass what's called the naturalization test. It's the citizen's test. So I'm going to take this test, and they're going to interview me because they're going to ask me questions about my background, about the application that I filled out. And I'm going to take this test. They're going to want to know about English and my civics test and different things like that. First three questions on this test may be this. What is the supreme law of the land? Question number two. What does the Constitution do? Question number three. The idea of self-government. is the first three words of the Constitution. What are these first three words of the Constitution? Does anybody know? We the people, yeah, see? Hey, you can be a U.S. citizen, very good. Those are part of the questions that are on the test. But if I want to be a U.S. citizen, I need to know about this country. I need to know how it's founded. I need to know about the government. I need to know how about things are ran here. But if I'm a Christian... And I'm an ambassador of God's kingdom. And somebody put a test in front of me and said, hey, what do you know about Jesus Christ? What can you tell me about him? How about God? Aren't they related in some way? What's the Trinity? And they start asking all these questions. And we all start freaking out like, uh, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. We are ambassadors of God's kingdom. and We need to know God. And if we don't know God, why don't we? So how about we do this? about the next four or five weeks, let's really get to know God. And let's, let's take our pace, a slower pace of doing this. Let's not rush through it. Let's not, okay, I want to go through it. I'm going to jam it all in there and cram it all in there. And maybe there's going to be a pop test along somewhere or a pop quiz along somewhere. I don't know. No. Let's soak this in. The last song we just sang this morning, beautiful song. matter of fact, we're going to sing it again. Because this morning when we talk about you are, this morning it's you are holy and awesome. That's the first thing we need to know about God. He is holy and awesome. Look at the person next to you and say, God is holy and awesome. Tell them. Exactly. You know, I want you to think about this. <clears throat> when we get to know God more, because you know, every, every now and then people are like, okay, so what, what's in it for me? Okay, well, again, this isn't about you. Church isn't about us, right? Church is about what I get my way, the songs I wanted to listen to, the seat I got to sit in, whether or not I put anything in the offering, whether I had coffee or not, or whether you know, the pastor preached the, the sermon that was just what I needed to hear, or, or how long. It, it's not about us. We get that, okay? But if I were to share this with you and say, you know what, there are benefits to this sermon this morning. There are benefits to knowing God more. This is what I would say. First of all, you getting to know God allows you to make Him Known to others. That's a benefit. If you know God more, it's going to enhance your worship. You're no longer just standing there, oh, when's this song going to be over? Or I wish they sang that other song. Instead, when you know God more, it's like, I want to get engaged in this song because it means something, because it's talking about my God. When you know God more, it deepens your relationship with Him. It strengthens our allegiance to Him. It builds our trust in God. When you know God, you're going to say, I'm, I'm going to trust Him more. Do you ever have those moments in your life where you're sitting there going, why did this happen? Or, this doesn't make sense. I, you know, I was driving down the road the other day and, and I heard it on the radio and I was sort of flipping through stations, that you could donate your vehicle to this nonprofit organization. I thought, that's a great thing. You're getting rid of your car, you want to donate it somewhere. But then they gave the name of the organization, and I have to admit, okay, it's a good organization, but I have to admit for a second there, I'm thinking, that didn't make sense. The name of the organization was a Heritage Blind Organization. I thought about somebody blind driving a vehicle. I thought, that doesn't make sense at all. And then I turned the radio on and I caught um, a pastor on the radio preaching. I have no idea what church he's from, where he's from. I'm not belittling the church. I'm not belittling the pastor. But I have to admit, as I listen to him preach, I'm sitting there going, does he talk like that all the time? It just crossed my mind. Because as he was preaching, he was one of those, when we look in the Bible, we see amazing things. And it jumps at me. And I like it. Okay, now the way he was preaching... He was on fire, okay? I get it, he was passionate. I wish more people were passionate about what they do in life, okay? But I had to sit there and think, is he like that all the time? Does he walk into McDonald's and he's like, I'll take a number five
1: with some Biggie Fries
0: and a Coca-Cola and an apple pie, okay? I don't know, again, that's just me. It's my warped mind, I'm driving down the road and and I probably just needed rest, I don't know. But about that time, I pulled into a small town Okay, this was Sunday after church last week. After church, I'm driving towards Lima, and I had to route a different way, and actually came across a small town. And I'm listening to this, and all my mind's going, woo-hoo, okay, get some rest. and, And then I see this cop car up in front of me, okay? Lights on, oh, slow down, okay? It's right at the front of the town entrance. And as I'm pulling up, there's the cop car, and there's more cars, so I'm slowing down, going, I wonder what's going on? So I pull onto the main strip, and all of a sudden, I look down the main strip. There were lawn chairs and chairs, blankets all along both sides of the road. I mean, everywhere, people sitting in their lawn chairs. And as I turn and I see them put up a little barricade behind me, I'm going, I'm in a parade route. (laughs) Joy, okay? Uh, I'm supposed to be somewhere really quick. I'm not gonna be there quick anymore. I'm super late now because I'm in a parade route and all these people, all I needed now was to roll down my window, throw some Tootsie Rolls and it would've been a great day, okay? And now I'm sort of sitting there, and here comes a little golf cart and pulls in front of me, and guys with a funny hat on, like, okay. And then I'm waiting, and some clown is directing traffic up there, and seriously, it was a clown <laughs> directing traffic. Wig, red nose, painted face, polka dot outfit, big shoes. And he was like, hee-hee, and I'm like, oh, this is not happening. And so I'm driving, and I'm thinking, who has a parade on Sunday afternoon at 1 o'clock? Who? Kaleida, pioneer days, don't go there, okay? That's all I got to say, okay? It didn't make sense to I me. Mean, so I'm driving down this, I'm driving on the road I'm, and I'm late and then I come to a road that I'm supposed to go on because Siri says, turn right. So I turn right, the bridge is out. Reroute. And I'm sitting there driving through all this going, God, sometimes things just doesn't make sense. You know, you're supposed to be somewhere in time, you're gonna be late and why is this bridge out? Why am I in a parade? And, and you know, all these things, you know, But what do we do in moments when things don't make sense? We trust, right? Without trusting God, we don't make it through a lot as Christians. We really don't. But here's the deal. If I don't know God, I'm not going to trust God. But the more I know God, the more I trust God. Does that make sense? So as I get to know God more, one of the benefits of knowing God more is my trust is enhanced. There's so much. As a matter of fact, our likeness, our reflection of God increases, because we reflect and we are created in His image. In this series, we have one simple goal: and we want to know God more. Look at the person next to you and say, "Let's know God more." Look at him, tell him, Let's, "Let's know God more." Yep, because at the end of each service, I would love to, for us as a church, to be able, be able to proclaim when we leave church every Sunday, not just. Be the church, okay? But I'd love for us to be able to just sort of look to God and just sort of say, you are, and this week, when we get done, I would love for us to be able to say, you are holy and awesome, God. Next week, we'll say, God, you are patient and long-suffering. And we'll continue. God, you're omnipotent. You're powerful and mighty. God, you're faithful. God, you're grace and mercy. As we grow, we'll finish those sentences every week with even more words of honor. But let's begin with the holiness of God. And throughout scriptures— Prophets, kings, disciples, those who knew God, those who knew about God, those who worshiped God, all said this about God. They all agree with what the angels sing, and that is this, that God is holy. We just sang the song. It was the first scripture in my notes to read, Isaiah 6, 3. Isaiah 6, 3. They were calling out to each other, holy, 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 is the Lord God of heaven. The whole earth is filled with his glory. So what is holy? I mean, if the angels in heaven are singing, holy, 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 and you can fast forward to the book of Revelation. John catches a glimpse of heaven, and, and he said, and, and, the, and the 24 went down to the knees, and, and everybody bowed, and they all sang, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Why are we always saying holy, holy, holy? What does it mean to be holy? Why is God called holy? Holy means to be marked off, to be uh, withdrawn from common use, to be separated. It could also be translated as that, to be separate. The word holy was used for objects or places that were used for worship. If you remember when Moses uh, came before the burning bush, God said, take your sandals off because you're you're stepping on holy ground, right? This is ground that's been set apart. It was common use, but now it's set apart for worship. That's what holy means. So holy gives us the idea of separateness or distinctness from ordinary common use. So Moses saw this and he declared it. Exodus 15, 11. We're going to throw some different scriptures up here. Exodus 15, 11. Now I'm going to start in verse 1. I'll get to verse 11, but... Moses and the people of Israel, they sang this song to the Lord. He said, I'll sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. So Moses is, this is a song he's singing. And then we get to verse 11. What's part of that song? Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who's like you? Glorious in holiness, awesome in splendor, performing great wonders. Who's like you, God? That's part of a song. That'd be a great song. Who's like you? Holy, awesome, glorious. There's there's nobody like you is what he's saying. Matter of fact, you probably heard David Crowder sing the song, There is no one like you. Okay, yep. Did he get that from Exodus? I don't know. Isaiah 40, 25 says, To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Says the Holy One. There's no one like God in all the universe. No one can give him counsel. Who told God to create the world? Let me hear you say no one. Nobody told God how to create the world. No nation can overcome him because God is holy. More scripture. again, I'll just throw this up here and then we'll be turning to scripture in a little bit. Psalm 22.3 says, Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Psalm 99.9 9 says, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain in Jerusalem for the Lord God our God is holy. Let me hear you say holy. Isaiah 5, 16. But the Lord of heaven's armies will be exalted by his justice. The holiness of God will be displayed by his righteousness. Holy. Our God is holy. Whatever he separates for his use becomes holy. So if God says this place is is a holy place. It's separate from everything else. This morning I pray that this building is holy. Through through the week it's a school. But on Sunday it's set apart as a place for us to worship the one and true God. Psalm 99 1 to 3 says this. The Lord is king, let the nations tremble. He sits on the throne between the cherubim. Let the whole earth quake. The Lord sits in majesty in Jerusalem. Exalted above all the nations. Listen to this verse three. Let them praise your great and awesome. Let me hear you say awesome. Let me hear you say holy. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Your name is holy. I love it. The psalmist just comes out and says, "I don't even know what to say." It is, your name is just awesome. Your name is holy. We throw around the word awesome quite a bit, don't we? Even the song, everything is awesome. Okay. Um, I have a friend who years ago, he said, as he was reading through the Bible, he said, God's name is awesome. I can't use awesome for anything anymore. I'm going to have to come up with a new word because it seems like that word should be reserved for God. Well, the name holy is definitely reserved for God. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Your name is holy. You know, when your favorite running back busts through the offensive line, spins off a defender, and sprints 50 yards for a touchdown, we explode out of our seats. We we cheer. We're like, awesome. Or when we're at a concert, and your favorite singer's up there singing, and they hit that note that you know nobody else can hit, okay? And they hit it, and you're like, oh, that was awesome. I love how they sing. Or when your car emerges from the tunnel, and you come out, and you see, snow-capped Rocky Mountains for the first time. they go, like, oh, that's awesome. Or you're at home, and the dark skies are coming, the wind's blowing, I mean, the wind is so strong, it's taking trees and bending them like blades of grass. And you see the storm approaching, and you sort of whisper to yourself, this is awesome. We use awesome in so many ways. Let me say this, God is holy and awesome. He really is. Rich Mullins wrote a song. Many of you know it. It's called Awesome God. God. And it was an instant hit. It reminds us that God has, God is, a, he's the old man upstairs, okay? No, 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 he's not that. He's not a cosmic cop, you know. He's holy. He's almighty. He's an awesome Lord. Here's, here's the lyrics to his song. When he rolls up his sleeves, he ain't just putting on the Ritz. Our God is an awesome God. There is thunder in His footsteps and lightning in His fists. Our God is an awesome God. And the Lord wasn't joking when He kicked Him out of Eden, and it wasn't for no reason that He shed His blood. His return is very close, so you better be, better be believing that our God is an awesome God. Then many of you know the chorus. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above. With wisdom, power, and love, our God is an awesome God. Now, if you go on into the song, Rich Mullins says this, I hope that we have not too quickly forgotten that our God is an awesome God. And here's my fear. I think we have forgotten that God is an awesome God. I think we have forgotten that God is a holy God. I think we have belittled God. I think we have made God a casual good friend and not realized he is still holy and awesome. If you remember the movie uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, okay? some of you may remember that movie. Great action-packed movie, first of the Indiana Jones movies with uh, actor Harrison Ford. Okay? He plays the role of this professor of archaeology, and he happens to also be a treasure hunter. Okay? So he likes going out and finding these things. And in this movie, he's on a quest. If you've seeing seen this movie, he's looking for the Ark of the Covenant, which we read about in the Old Testament, in Exodus, right? And in this movie, he's on a quest to find it. And, uh, but here's a the problem. There's somebody else on a quest. It's the Nazis. The Nazis are also trying to find this Ark of the Covenant. Now, of course, Indiana Jones wants to find the Ark of the Covenant for special purposes, right? He believes there's historical value to it. It's special. But Germany wants to find it because they believe whoever has the Ark has power. They want power, right? Unfortunately, okay, because there's, you know, there's obviously this is an action movie, so there's a lot of action back and forth trying to find the Ark, to find the Ark, but unfortunately once Indiana Jones finds the Ark, the Nazis capture him and the Ark. Okay? So they're transporting the Ark. They put it in a crate. They put it on this cargo ship and they've sent it out to transport it. And it's during this scene. It's sort of an eerie scene, okay? But on the side of this crate is this swastika. And it's printed on the side of the crate, but it starts to burn, and it's no longer visible. Sort of an eerie scene, but it sort of says, God's bigger than any nation, okay? If you didn't catch that part in the movie, that's what it's about, okay? And at the climax of the movie, the Nazi officer approaches the Ark of the Covenant, and he opens it. Hungry for power, of course, you know. He's eager to see what's in it. He opens up the Ark, and he makes a horrible mistake. Because in the movie, okay, go Hollywood. Okay. A host of destroying angels stream out of the lid that's lifted, and the angels wipe out all the Germans that are there, and the only Indiana and his beautiful companion are saved, of course, because they didn't look. Okay, but that's sort of Hollywood at its best, right? Turning your Bibles with me, please. First Samuel chapter six. First Samuel chapter six, very in front of the book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and 1 Samuel chapter 6. I'm not saying that this is where Indiana Jones or readers of the Lost Ark got its inspiration for the movie. But I'd like to read this story to you. Because here's the story of the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was captured by the Philistines. The Philistines brought it back to their encampment. So here we go. Sort of like, like the Nazis took the Ark of the Covenant and they got and opened it and it was a bad situation, right? Okay, so the Philistines had the Ark of the Covenant and we read in verse uh, 4, it says, here's what happened. Some things started going bad with the Philistines. People were getting sick and dying. And they said, let's get rid of the Ark of the Covenant. This has not been nothing but bad news for us, Okay. Verse four, and they were told, since the plague has struck both you and your five rulers, the five rulers of the Philistines, okay, make five gold tumors, five gold rats, just like those who have ravaged your land, okay, so these tumors they were sick with, these rats have come in, make these things to show honor to the God of Israel. Perhaps then he'll stop afflicting you, your gods, and your land. verse six. Don't be stubborn and rebellious as Pharaoh and Egyptians were. Okay, don't you love this? That here's ungodly people who remember what the God of Israel did to other ungodly people. Remember what happened to them? We don't need that, okay? Let's read on. By the time God was finished with them, they were eager to let Israel go. Verse 7. Now build a new cart. Find two cows that have just given birth to calves. Make sure the cows have never been yoked to a cart. Hitch the cows to the cart. But shut their calves away from them in a pen. Don't you live? This is precise uh, instructions here. Put the ark of the Lord on the cart. Beside it, place the chest containing the gold rats, gold tumors you're sending as a guilt offering. Then let the cows go wherever they want. If they cross the border of our land and they go to Beth Shemesh, we will know that it was the Lord who brought this great disaster upon us. If they don't, we'll know it was not His hand that caused the plague. It simply came by chance. So the instructions were carried out. Two cows were hitched to the cart, and their newborn calves were shut up in a pen. The ark of the Lord and the chest containing the gold rats, gold tumors, were placed on the cart. Sure enough, without veering off in either direction, the cows went straight along the road toward Beth Shemesh, lo- lowing as they went. The Philistine rulers followed them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh, and the people of Beth Shemesh were harvesting wheat in the valley. And when they saw the ark, they were overjoyed. like, yes, the ark of the covenants come to our place. The cart came into the field of a man named Joshua. He stopped beside a large rock, so the people broke up the wood of the cart for a fire. They killed the cows, sacrificed them to the Lord as a burnt offering. Several men of the tree, tribe of Levi lifted the Ark of the Lord in the chest containing the gold rats and gold tumors from the cart. They placed it on the large rock. Many sacrifices and burnt offerings were offered to the Lord that day by the people of Shemesh. The five Philistine rulers watched all this and returned to Ekron that same day. The five gold tumors sent by the Philistines as guilt-offering to the Lord were gifts from the rulers of Ashdod Gaza, Ashkelon Gath, and Ekron. The five gold rats represent the five Philistine towns and their surrounding villages, which were controlled by the five rulers. The large rock at Beth where they set the Ark of the Lord, still stands in the field of Joshua as a witness to what happened. So, you have these Philistine nation took the ark of the covenant, thought it would bring them power. It brought nothing but death. People died, plagues, rats. They said we got to get rid of it. So they made gold rats and tumors, put it on the ark of the covenant did exactly what they're told, sent it off. The five rulers are like off, you know, like, you know, just sort of looking in you know, their little hand don't on what they're doing. But anyway, they're looking and watching and good it's done. We're we're washed our hands of this. We should no longer have any kind of issues here, right? So now, this tribe of Levi, they make the sacrifice and offer everything. Now listen to what happens. Don't miss this next part, verse 19. But the Lord killed 70 men from Beth Shemesh. What? I thought, you know, they did the offering and all that. They, thank you, God. Check out why. Because they looked into the ark of the Lord. Sort of like Indiana Jones, right? And the people mourned greatly because of what the Lord had done. And listen to what they said. Who is able to stand in the presence of the Lord? This holy God. They cried out, where can we send the ark from here? Why was God so mad with the people for just looking in the ark? I mean, maybe they're just checking it. Everything in there? The Ten Commandments, is that in there? You know, is the jar of manna, is that in there? Maybe they just wanted to find out. Is everything set in there? Maybe they, maybe they put something in there to, to hurt us or something. I don't... Why? What's so wrong with that? Let me tell you why. Because God is holy. And His law is holy. And He clearly declared the ark of the covenant off limits to people to look at. Don't be looking in there. Unholy eyes can't look into a holy thing. But they did it anyway. They took something that was holy and they just thought it was something being simple, right? People were guilty of treating something holy in a trivial way, and God doesn't stand for that. If you go to New Testament, Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, remember they had a plot of land, they sold it, They went to Peter. Peter says, oh, so you're giving uh, the money to God that you sold? Yep, we're giving it all to you. Liar, liar, pants on fire, right? They didn't give it all. They said they gave it all so they would look like good Christians, right? But they kept a lot of it. But they said we gave it all. What did God do? He put Ananias and Sapphira to death. That seems a little harsh, right? He was trying to wake up the church early in life and saying, hey, church, Get it right. I am a holy God. Don't mess with me. People learned a lesson. You don't mess around with the holy God. God is morally pure and without the stain of sin. First John 1 John 1.5 says this. This is the message we heard from Jesus, and we now declare it to you. God is light, and there is no darkness in Him at all. There's no sin God. He's holy. There's no darkness with God. He is light. Habakkuk 1.13 says, But you are pure. You can't stand the sight of evil. Because God's holy, He hates sin. Zechariah 8.17 says this, Don't scheme against each other. Stop your love of telling lies that you swear are the truth. I hate all these things, says the Lord. God hates it when we lie. Why is that? Because He's holy. God is holy and He can't stand the sight of sin. The psalmist writes, Psalm 97.10, you who love the Lord, okay? Now, if we did a poll, quick poll in here right now, and I said, okay, all of you that love God, raise your hand, okay? And everybody raise their hand, okay? And I said, awesome. Okay, so this is you. You said, I love the Lord. Listen, you who love the Lord, two words, hate evil, hate evil. He protects the lives of the godly people and rescues them from the power of the wicked. Proverbs fifteen nine says, the Lord detests the way of the wicked. But he loves those who pursue godliness. It's God's a holy God. here's the neat thing. God wants to share his holiness with us. When we see the holiness of God, this is what happens. God is holy. And we look at that. Okay, he's separate. When we look at that, what does that do? It reveals our darkness, doesn't it? It reveals our sin. We are nothing like God. And God says, exactly. Now you're ready to receive forgiveness. When we realize how holy God is and we are not, that puts us in a position now that we're ready to say, I'm a, I'm a sinner. I'm in need of a holy God to save me. And he rescues us. Hebrews 10.10 says, For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. God desires holiness in us. First Peter chapter 1, verses 15 to 16, says this. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back in your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. Listen to this, verse 15. But now... You must be holy in everything you do, just as God is holy. For the Scriptures say, you must be holy as God is holy. First Peter 2, then, the next chapter, he goes on to say, But you're not like that. You're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. God's very possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness into the wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, but now you're God's people. You see, God's a holy God. He wants us to be holy. Because when we are holy, guess what we're doing? We're reflecting our holy God. That's an amazing thing. But have we become very trivial in what is holy? As we begin each day in the presence of God, when we take communion... When we were worship together as a church, have we made it a trivial thing or am I treating this as a holy moment? Worship team, would you come forward? We're going to close with a song. When we sing this last song, is it a holy moment or was it just a song we sang? Is going to church one of many options for us on Sunday? Well, I can, you know, I can go to a religious service, I can go uh, sleep in, go to the mall, go watch TV. Is it, is it part of that list? Because if it is, it shouldn't be, because it's a holy thing. These are all just other things that we can do on Sunday. But going to church should be a holy thing. Am I being rude or distracting during church or youth group or other religious services, or do I treat it as a holy moment? And you know, I, I did this all the time as a youth pastor. We're sitting with teenagers, and sometimes we'd be somewhere at a special service, and I'd see one or two kids messing around, and 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 it wasn't so much. That bothered me that they were messing around, but the thing was they were disrupting other people from having the opportunity to worship because it's a holy moment. I think, oh, that's a funny joke. I wish I could say something in regards to what the pastor just said. There, I'm all the time. I I get it, okay? But it's like if I say that, will that disrupt a holy moment? Do I treat the Bible as just another book or do I treat it as God's holy words given to me? Do I mistreat my body, which God has called a temple? See, God is holy, and he wants to make us holy, and he wants us to be holy. And I think we need to sort of come back and say, you know what, I need to reevaluate everything that I'm doing in my life with God. I need to reevaluate Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, and I need to see that these are moments that could be holy. Tonight at East, it could be a holy moment, because we have a holy God. Charles Colson said this, we need to know the fear of the Lord, the overwhelming, compelling awe and reverence of a holy God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It provides the right perspective on God's sovereign rule over all creation. The sense of God's power and perfection that dwarfs mere men and women, that causes us to bow and worship and glory in His amazing grace. Would you please stand Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are holy. The angels, the heavenly beings in the throne room, all worship you saying, holy, holy, holy. Set apart no one, no one like you. Not even close. You're awesome and splendor. Lord, forgive us when we have not treated you that way, when we've not looked at you that way, when we have taken things that you've set apart as being holy, whether it's a moment of worship, whether it's uh, your word, whether it's a song, and we've made fun of it or we've taken it lightly and trivial, sort of like the Ark of the Covenant. Lord, it's time here maybe we just got to stop and reflect and look at you and say you are holy you desire us to be holy as well that's amazing but you invite us into that when we see the distance between your holiness and ours we obviously feel pretty bad not worthy at all and that gets us to our knees and where we have to ask for forgiveness of our sins and you forgive us And you clean us up. And you make us righteous. And you call us holy. Because you want us to be holy like you. God, we know we can never be like you because you are God. But we can start reflecting you more in how we live holy lives. You are holy. You are holy, God. We love you. Lord, as we sing to you, we want to worship you. We want to worship you.